Welcome back to Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena. I'm Jack Llewellyn. I'm sorry I missed you last week. I had the head cold from hell and didn't think you needed to hear that as I tried to get through a podcast episode. A little bit better today, a little nasally, but I think we'll make it. Before we jump into today's episode and the topic for today, I want to talk about a couple of things quickly. The first is something I wanted to talk about last week when it was a little bit closer in time. But as many of you probably know, February 7 was 39 years to the day from when Kiki Camarena was abducted outside the American consulate in Guadalajara. As many of you know, I started this podcast principally, at least at the time, to talk about the Camarena case to try to separate fact from fiction relating to the case, to try to apply some academic rigor, some scientific process, if you will, and some basic reasoning to the case, some claims made about the case, some outstanding issues relating to the case. And in the weeks and months since then, we've expanded the scope considerably. And we now talk about Mexican cartels in a much more general way, both past and present, some looking toward the future. But those principles that we started off with in thinking about the Camarena case, fact from fiction, academic honesty, academic rigor, those principles are something that I hold very dear and try to encapsulate into every discussion that we have. I also want you to know that the Camarena case is never far from what we're doing. In fact, March, both on this podcast and on my YouTube channel, is going to be largely devoted to things relating to the Camarena case. To that end, in the next couple weeks, I'm traveling to Guadalajara. And I have some interviews set up. We're going to do some video, um, some pictures, some video in some places that people might not expect. And we'll discuss that on this podcast. We'll show it more on the YouTube channel. One thing I do want to mention, though, since I'm going to be down there, I'll be there with a great guide who who knows Guadalajara. He's lived there most of his life. Um, I'll have some video equipment. If there is something you'd like to see from Guadalajara that relates to the Camarena case, let me know. If there's something that interests you, Let me know, and I'll try to present that, and I'll try to talk about it both, again, on this channel, this podcast, and on YouTube. One other thing I wanted to talk about real quick, there was a news article that came out in several publications on Friday about Elmayo being uh, indicted for fentanyl. Some made it sound like a little bit bigger deal than I think it is. I wanted to clear that up real quick. 
what happened was there was a fifth superseding indictment that, in addition to other charges against Elmayo, included fentanyl charges. But what's important is it was a superseding indictment, a fifth one. The first indictment actually goes all the way back to the El Chapo indictments, where Elmayo and others were, were indicted as well. So is it a big deal? Probably not. Does it change much of anything about uh, the claims that the U- U.S. has against Elmayo and about their desire to see Elmayo captured? Probably not. But you wouldn't necessarily know that from the headlines. So I wanted to talk about that real quickly. All right. The topic for today makes me really, really nervous. Why is that? We're going to talk today about the fight for control of the Mexican state of Tamaulipas. We're going to do that by looking at the major cartel groups fighting there, primarily those that have their origins someplace in Tamaulipas. By that, I mean Los Zetas, CDG, and their progeny. Why does it make me nervous? Because things change so quickly. The alliances change. The members change. And no matter how much research I do, I can find conflicting reports from credible sources on many of the things we're going to talk about today. But We're going to try to put it together in the best way we can. One of the things that fascinates me about this discussion, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it, is the characterization of Los Zetas. And there are reports everywhere. I might have fallen into this trap when we talked about the Zetas in a prior episode. Talk about the rise and fall of Los Zetas. And in some respects, that's, that may be true from a technical sense. In other ways, not really. And it reminds me of a John Wayne movie. I love John Wayne. Love his movies. Corny as all get out, but I love them. And one that I really like is Big Jake. And one of the opening scenes in Big Jake John Wayne's character comes upon a couple of men getting ready to hang a sheep farmer. And John Wayne kind of butts in. And at one point he's talking to the head of the, the bad guys, for, so to speak, who are hanging this sheep farmer. And at one point he throws a pocket knife that lands kind of near him into a tree. And the the actor, who actually played Jock Ewing on Dallas later on, but the actor says to John Wayne's character, Mr. Who the hell do you think you are? The Duke says, Jacob McCandless. And the guy says, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. McCandless. I I thought you was dead. And the Duke says, not hardly. And I think of that with the, the Zetas because their demise may have been overstated, and I'm going to explain why that may be as we go through it. I want to talk 
in an abbreviated form about the history of the Zetas, just so that we have kind of this lineage to talk about when we get to the quote unquote demise of the Zetas and what's going on today. And if, as I mentioned a minute ago, we did an episode on the history of Los Zetas previously that has a lot more detail. But we can trace the Zetas back to 1997-ish when Osea Cardenas Guillen took control of the Gulf Cartel. Now, he found himself in a bad situation. He had just ascended kind of, again, to the throne of the, the Gulf Cartel. He had leadership issues within his own cartel. He had turf wars with rival cartels. And the Mexican army was um, active in their pursuit of the Gulf Cartel. Seeing that situation, Cardenas sought out, met, however you want to describe it, an army lieutenant by the name of Arturo Guzman de Sena. And de Sena had been um, in a leadership role of an elite group of special forces that initially had fought some insurgents in South Mexico and Chiapas and then went to work against some of the Mexican cartels. Cardenas works with Guzman de Sena, who then recruits 30 or so from his special forces group to form a a group initially as bodyguards for Cardenas Guillen, later as kind of the military or mercenary wing of the Gulf cartel. I find it interesting when, depending on what source you you read, some sources will say that the, the 30 or so military people who formed this mercenary wing were deserters. And, Technically, it's true. They deserted to join uh, Guzman de Sena and and form this group. But they deserted because they were offered a whole lot more money by Cardenas Guillen. It's not like they had deserted and they were all just kind of wandering through the Mexican desert and they were found. Right. They were part of this elite group. Special training had trained with Mossad and, and with American special forces. 2002, uh, Guzman de Sena is killed, and Heriberto Lascano, Z3, takes control of this group. They get more and more power, um, more prominence, and then in March of 2003, Cardenas Guillen is arrested. He ends up being extradited to the United States in 2007. By the way, he gets out of jail in September of this year. But as a result of Guillen, uh, Cardenas Guillen being arrested, the Zetas take a far more active role within the Gulf Cartel, and their influence within the organization increases dramatically. There ends up being a formal split between the two groups between Los Zetas that are now the military wing of the cartel and the Garf cartel itself. 
couple of, of different potential explanations. Some say that when um, OCL, Cardenas Guillen, is uh, arrested, his brother Guillen ascends to a leadership role within the organization. Reports are that he was a gambler, a drug addict, far more interested in women than he was in in leading a cartel. And one explanation is that the Zetas perceived his role in the leadership of the cartel as a threat to the organization as a whole, and that rather than be part of a weak organization, they went on their own to operate from a place of strength. Others say that there was a divide between who was going to take between the two groups as to who was going to take over the cartel after um, Cardenas Guillen is extradited. So the cartel said, well, we have Guillen, the brother. We have Jorge Eduardo Costilla Sanchez. They should be the leaders. The Zeta said, no, 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 no. We want Lascano to be the leader. When leadership in the cartel didn't go to Lascano, Zeta said, that's it. We're going on our own. Other explanation was that the Gulf cartel at that time wanted to form a truce with the Sinaloa cartel. Los Zetas weren't in favor of that. They preferred their alliance with the BLO. In any event, the final straw, so to speak, was when Samuel Flores Borrego, a a, um, lieutenant of the Gulf cartel, killed a Zetas lieutenant, Sergio Pena Mendoza, also known as El Concord III. Apparently, there was a disagreement over kind of turf in the drug quarter of Reynosa. Both groups said they controlled Reynosa. El Concord III gets killed. Los Zetas demanded that the cartel hand over um, Flores Borrego. Cartel refused. Zeta said, that's it, we're done, and they split off. Early 2010s, in addition to Los Cano, Miguel Trevino Morales takes on a leadership role within the Zetas. This is an area that we could spend another episode or two talking about. Lots of disagreement about how this all played out. But it appears that initially Las Cana was fine. Morales could have you know, leadership and power in, the, uh, in, in Los Zetas. Some suggest that Morales was given too much power and that Las Cana kind of underestimated him. Those advocating that position suggest then that Morales was a little bit more of an active leader, gained loyalty and respect from kind of the 
rank and file of the Zetas and that that led to issues with Lascano. Lascano may have fled to uh, Spain for a while, came back, but may or may not have had that leadership position. In any event, around October 12 or October of 2012, there was a firefight with the Mexican Marines where Lascano reportedly was killed. If you remember from our episode on the Zetas, lots of questions about exactly when and how he was killed. This firefight that we're talking about, October 9, 2012, remember his body was never found. The Mexican government said uh, that the Zetas were able to go in and pull his body out. In any event, we know that at some point, Lascano was either killed or in hiding and then later killed. Miguel um, Chirena Morales is then the leader of the Zetas. He's um, known as Z40. He himself gets arrested July 14, 2013 in uh, Nuevo León. He is then succeeded by Omar Trevino Morales, his brother, also known as Z42. Z42 has been in the news recently because Omar Trevino Morales sent a letter to a Mexican newspaper saying that he's not Z42 and to please quit calling him by that name. March 3, 2015, Omar Trevino Morales, Z42, is arrested in Monterey. For all practical purposes, that is the day the Zetas ceased to exist as their original group. He was the last leader of that original Zeta structure. What happens then? Excuse me. We have a new cartel or a new faction that develops that develops into a cartel known as the Northeast Cartel, headed by Juan Gerardo Chaveño Chavez. Right. There can be no doubt. No doubt that the Northeast Cartel are the heirs to the Zetas. The lineage from the original Zetas goes directly to the Northeast Cartel. Now, there's a branch that we'll talk about, but the direct lineage goes from the Zetas to the Northeast Cartel. When Z42 is captured in 2015, his brother, Juan Francisco takes over and he mints the new cartel, the Northeast Cartel. Primary presence in northern and central Mexican states, known for its fights with the Gulf Cartel and with CJNG. The core of the Northeast Cartel's power and revenue, though, comes from its control of Nuevo Laredo. In my newsletter this week, 
I uh, give some statistics on the amount of um, truck, big rig traffic flowing from the United States into Mexico and then from Mexico to the United States. And the crossing at Laredo, Texas is by far the largest truck crossing uh, location on the border between those two countries. So having control of Nuevo Laredo, however you want to define control, is hugely important. CDN had a, or has a, um, an armed wing, Tropa del Inferno, Hell Troop, kind of became notorious in 2019-2020, number of violent attacks on CJNG and clashes with uh, Mexican military and National Guard. For a while, um, it appeared that CDN was making the same mistake as their predecessors, the the Zetas. The rampant violence, the attacks on uh, the Mexican government, the military, the National Guard put giant targets on their backs. And 2021, Mexican security forces did a pretty good job of hammering on CDN arresting uh, several leaders of Hell Troop. We'll talk more about um, CDN in a second. Remember a moment ago, I said there was a branch off of kind of the family tree, the main route going from, or the, you know, the, the main tree going from Los Zetas to CDN. There's a large branch though that breaks off for the Zetas Vieja Escuela, the old school Zetas, founded by Jose Guizar Valencia, Z43, along with some other dissidents from the original organization. And here's where your names can get you tripped up. I want to make it clear, the direct lineage goes from Zetas to CDN, not Zetas to the old school Zetas. The old school Zetas, though, started from um, a base in northern Veracruz. They've now spread out into other regions, uh, including Tamaulipas, Nuevo Leon, uh, Quintana Roo. They've also started to adopt a philosophy similar to CDG, which is to get control of Tamaulipas through border towns such as Rio Bravo. They also have um, headquarters or or main operations in San Fernando, which is not far up the coast from where they kind of, again, started in Veracruz. As a general rule, it's fair to say that their presence in Tamaulipas has been somewhat understated compared to their rivals, compared particularly to the Northeast cartel. The Northeast cartel has been more proactive in carving out its territory in Tamaulipas, especially in Nuevo Laredo. One more time, sorry. Nuevo Laredo. 
there have been a variety of alliances between the Zetas and um, groups, fractions of the um, CDG, and we'll talk about those in, in just a minute. 2019, Jose Roberto Stolberg Becerra, also known as La Barbie, not the famous La Barbie, the other La Barbie. He was arrested in Jalisco. He was reported to have been the leader of the Los, uh, the old school Zetas faction. There are also a number of other uh, smaller Zeta-related factions. There um, is Zeta Sangre Nueva. Um, which is a, a cell that's been identified by um, some security consultants, has a presence in Puebla, Tamaulipas, Veracruz. There's another cell known as Los Talibanes, which again operates in Zacatecas, Tabasco, Quintana Roo. One more cell, Sangre Zita, um, which is different than the, the one above. Um, which is in Tamaulipas and a couple of other uh, locations. And then there are five or six or seven more, even smaller factions of uh, the Zetas that have been identified. Okay. So going back to the Duke, are the Zetas dead? Yes and no. The Zetas as we think of the Zetas, are gone. But their spirit lives on primarily in CDN, also in the old school Zetas, and then these other factions. And so when people talk about a Zeta, it's impossible now sometimes to know exactly who they're referring to which subgroup of subgroup that aligns themselves or traces their roots to the Zetas in one way, shape, or form. CDG. CDG now is far less of a unified group. It's no longer the, you know, the car, the Gulf cartel. It's a, conglomeration of smaller factions that all have their origins with CDG. You have the Scorpions and the Cyclones. The Cyclones are a Matamoros-based faction of CDG. They have um, had a long-running battle with the Metros in Reynosa, who we'll talk about in a, a minute. Much of their influence comes from their control of the border crossing between Matamoros and Brownsville. The Cyclones have um, for a while been fairly quiet um, or went through a period of of being fairly quiet. Uh, Then in 2001, there were um, a number of attacks um, and they were aligned with uh, the Scorpions group, who we'll talk about in just a second. 
The Cyclones continue to have a war also with the Northeast Cartel. They battle for control of municipalities, including San Fernando, uh, San Carlos, Idadula. The Scorpions were formed after a fallout between two of the CDG leaders, Ocio Cardenas Guillen and his brother Antonio Ezekiel. They were created to stand up to the, Z- to the Zetas, and they were made up of former police and military personnel. Initially, they were known for brutality, their use of military-style tactics, which makes sense, right, if you're tra- de- designed to counter the influence and the power of the Zetas, that's what you would do. Um. In 2010, Antonio and Ezekiel died, and many thought that the group had been disbanded. That notion was dispelled in 2015 in Matamaros and Tampico, when another group calling them the Scorpions Group, Grupo Scorpions, um, was uh, emerging. Um, they maintained police connections because their leader at the time was the former head of police of Madero. Uh, he ended up being killed too. Today, it's said that the Scorpions and Cyclones act in concert, not in lockstep, but generally in um, concert. Some analysts have actually described the Scorpions as the armed wing of the Cyclones, viewing them as a single criminal threat. Their um, base, again, is in Matamoros, but they have marked their presence in uh, a large area of Tamaulipas. There are um, a number of events that have happened in the last year or so that have tied back to um, the Scorpions. Uh, and to the Cyclones, including the uh, the kidnapping of some Americans who uh, you, who had crossed the border were kidnapped. There were, um, you know, uh, there was a, a lot of publicity about it, and the Scorpions ended up um, giving up, <laughs> if you will, or uh, presented. Uh, those that they said were responsible for the kidnapping. Uh, and and that was one of the ways that you knew who they were. Even if you hadn't been paying attention to any of these subgroups, they became notable because of that event. Uh, the metros were formed in Matamoros by Ocl Cardenas Guillen in the 90s. Today, they are far more uh, known for their power base in Reynosa and in Tamaulipas's northern border, uh, towns such as Camargo and Mier. They have a number of rivalries, in, um, in part because the, the, the metro seemed to have been at the center of this continued fragmentation of CDG. After the the deaths and arrests of 
several other of the Cardenas Guillen family members. Um, the members sided with Jorge Eduardo Costilla Sanchez. Remember, we talked about him a little bit ago, uh, who assumed much of the control of the cartel. The Rojos, a rival faction that supported um, others in that power vacuum battle, um, were driven out of the border area toward southern Tamaulipas. In 2021, the metros were the target of a campaign of violence by the Cyclones and the Scorpions, culminating in the killing of 19 people in Reynosa in June of that year. In 2021, there apparently was a truce between the Cyclones, the Scorpions, and the Rojos. Um... But in July of 2021, their um, their commander, Comandante Calamardo, Calamardo um, was found dead. The metros also battled the Northeast Cartel for control of many of the smaller municipalities between Reynosa and Nuevo Laredo. Depending on what time uh, you're, you're asking the question, you know, on what date, there may be different views on which cartel or which splinter group has control. Generally speaking, I think most observers think that the Northeast Cartel is largely in control of those areas. The split between the metros and the Rojos. Uh, occurred in about 2011. Uh, the Rojos control far less um, territory than their rivals. Their power base is in the very south of the state along the border with Ver- Veracruz. They have engaged in um, various um, sporadic violence, but mainly stay out of the violence focused on Reynosa. They were a part of the alleged Gulf cartel truce in uh, 2021. There's another group um, called the Panteras, the Panthers, smaller CDG offshoot based in southern Tamaulipas, made up of former police officers used mainly as assassins. Their leader, uh, Pantera 6, was arrested in 2014 the group went relatively quiet. There have been a few outbreaks of violence, um, but the um, Panthers maintain basically what could be characterized as a, a neutral collaboration with other CDG factions in the state. The status of the CDG truce, to the extent there was one, is a little bit in dispute. There have been clear indications of some battles, primarily with the Metros and uh, the Rojos. Um, And so some observers say that the truce is uh, more fiction than fact and that it it applies only when people want it to apply. Uh, Other observers suggest that CDG while they have some internal bickering and, and internal fighting, 
has determined that they are better off fighting as a group against CDN and that that is how they've made inroads into uh, Nuevo Laredo and other places. Then there's one other school of thought that is the uh, the biggest benefactor of the fights between CDG and uh, the Zetas factions has been uh, CJNG and to a lesser extent CDS and their efforts to grab a slice of the the huge pie that exists around Nuevo Laredo. I know that last part was a little bit um, a little bit murky, but believe me, trying to find a definitive answer on who controls is, is at any given moment in time is is uh, extremely difficult. To the extent people have additional information on this, I think I would it would be fascinating to um, to learn more. Uh, you know, there are. It is. Um, it's always important for us to recognize that these groups make their their money. They exist. Their whole reason for existence is to make money that's fueled on criminal activities, including, you know, drug trafficking, uh, including the trafficking of fentanyl. Uh, you know that that is a scourge in the United States and many other places across the world. So you never want to forget about that. But if you look at them from a purely intellectual standpoint and put that to the side, these internal machinations and how they play out against one another are very interesting. And as we've talked about before, I think understanding how the cartels operate, how their leadership operates, how they evolve over time is important because that then informs how you interact with them on a drug enforcement level. Right? How are we as, as informed citizens to know what the right method for dealing with cartel violence, cartel drug trafficking? How do we deal with that if we don't understand the cartels themselves? That's why I think this discussion is is important. I think it's critical. And I think it's important not just for me and you to understand it, but to also assure that those that are making the decisions actually understand what's going on and what the genesis is, what the history is. All right. That is Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena for today. Note, get the newsletter. If you want to get the newsletter, you know, send me an email address. I'll send you it's free every day. I There's a lot of information in there, a lot of different things going on. I pull from lots of news sources. I think it's a, a you know a five-minute read on a Sunday morning, but well worth it. Again, think about what you would want to see, what you'd want to know about, what we should talk about um, on the trip to Guadalajara. And that'll be it for today. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week on Cartels, Conspiracies, and Camarena.